This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hey, everybody. Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. I'm loving the series. We are in For the Love of Ending the Year with a Bang. (laughs) I love that. I love the idea of it. I like the idea of finishing strong and not just kind of phoning it in until January gets here and we sort of turn our attention to the things that matter. I I really love the idea of going, how can I walk out of 2022 just in strength? So here we are, another year, another dollar, as they say. And if you have been following me at all, you know that for the last two years plus, I have been wildly reassessing my financial world and learning literally on the fly what is going to work for me and my family and what is not. It has been a journey of learning practically everything new on personal finance, practically everything. I would have said that I started right after my divorce in negative space on this. And so I suppose it's good timing as all of us collectively are looking at 
new events happening right now with global inflation and rising interest rates and rising housing prices. And I just think we're in a new world. The pandemic has changed things. We're going to have to figure this out while also keeping our eyes lifted and not discouraged. And we can do this. We can adapt. We can change. We can try new tactics and we can learn. Also, we can ask for help. And it's never too late to take charge of your finances. Never. Like we're not too far gone. We're not too old. We're not too deep in the bag. We're not too far down the line on our career. It's never too late to say, I'd like to be more in control of what my personal finances look like. That was, I mean, a hundred percent for me, I was 46 and I had no idea how much money I made. I didn't know how to pay my bills. I didn't know how many accounts we had. I didn't know anything. And so when I tell you that it is possible to learn, I say that from experience. I mean, I started from scratch, figured it out with a lot of helpers. I asked a lot of questions and I sat in a lot of meetings and I did a lot of reading and I can tell you now, I mean, I'm I'm just a regular person. I'm not like a financial advisor, but I am definitely in front of my own financial journey now. I am in the know. There's nothing I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing I haven't managed or touched and it's possible for all of us. And so as we attempt to focus on how we can end our year well and start a new one strong, which by the way, doesn't have to happen at the start of a new year. It just happens to be where we are. I wanted to bring a financial expert on the show who would speak to all the different aspects of this current time, who really gets the mental fatigue surrounding all things finance and give us some practical, smart advice and new ways to think about our money, our future, and how we go about taking even baby steps to reel it all in. And we do. She and I start at the absolute beginning. And then we have some real specific conversation around how to handle finances at the holidays because there's real specific pressure there too. And so today we have Chelsea Fagan. She's the co-founder and CEO of The Financial Diet. Chelsea helms this vibrant, amazing company that creates resources for anyone who wants to get schooled in all things financial. It doesn't matter how what your income level is. This is not just for rich people, right? This is just for anybody who wants to be in charge of their personal finance. So her company covers budgeting, credit scores, investing, life is messy stuff, all of it. She's even champion, and we talk about this a little bit, a four-day work week at her company. Y'all, we like her. We like Chelsea at the show. You're going to feel really fired up about how she lays it out there and breathe the a sigh of relief that I'm telling you, it might not be as hard as you think. I think she's smart, quit smart. I like her approach to money. I like how she talks about it. I think she's got an interesting mindset toward it and super practical advice. And so I'm absolutely delighted to bring this incredible conversation in front of you. You guys help me welcome Chelsea Fagan. Chelsea, good morning. I'm so delighted to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to hear everything you have to say today. I think about this for women a lot, which is why I'm just so glad you're here. That really, no matter what, happily married, divorced, single, it doesn't matter. We should all, all be having this conversation, everyone. Absolutely. I've told my listeners a little bit about you, Chelsea, but I wonder if you could just talk for a couple of minutes about if whatever your personal experiences have been with money, 
that led you ultimately to to found the financial diet? Like, how did you get it going? How what was its origin story, and what are you doing with it today? Yeah, so I worked in media before starting the financial diet, so I was very familiar with kind of the business of creating content, monetizing content, all of that. And my co-founder who reached out to me in the very early days also came from an advertising background. So, you know, we definitely had those resources in terms of turning it into a business. But, you know, the the really simple genesis of it was that I was someone who always had an extremely negative relationship with money. I was a compulsive spender. I was in credit card debt. I grew up with a lot of anxieties and insecurities about money for a lot of different reasons. And so when I started the financial diet, I was actually working at another media company. And this was just a side project that I was doing as a personal blog to hold myself accountable to being better with money because I'm a very externally driven person. I'm, I tend to be more motivated by external accountability and validation, honestly, sometimes. Sure. Familiar with it. <laughs> and my co-founder reached out to me day two or three of me writing that blog and was like, you know, I'm a little bored at my job. I want to do some projects that I like to build out my portfolio. She's a designer. So she designed it. Very early on, we got a small grant from a large internet personality who has a foundation who we still work with from time to time and, and really adore. And then now it's a full-fledged media company. We're based out of our office in Manhattan. I'm not in it today, but it's 11 women on the team. So Nice. Fantastic. Okay, that's great. I love all that. And that's the kind of stuff we're about to drill into together. And so let's kind of start. Let's start from step one. I'd love to hear you talk about what you think being good with money means. Like, what does that mean to you? How might that look in a practical way? And then to parse it forward one step, what would you suggest would be, let's just say a starter pack in terms of getting your money in order. I'm thinking about the listener who's like, this is a mess for me. Like I, we're all over the place. I don't even know. So let's, let's start there and then we'll keep going. So one thing I want to be very clear about is being good with money has basically nothing to do with your income level or your lifestyle. Very good. You can be, I've worked for many of them. I know many of them have known many of them. You can be earning, you know, seven figures a year and be living paycheck to paycheck or be, totally. you can have a very negative relationship with money at that level. And you can also be fairly low income. I mean, there is, I want to be very clear that there are levels of poverty and levels of, you know, kind of being financially disadvantaged that no amount of frugality is going to get you out of those situations. you need to increase income. But the ethos of being good with money very, very, very simply boils down to both living with and being content with living with under your means. And then framing your financial decision-making in terms of your long-term priorities and values as opposed to short-term gratification. If you're doing those two things, if you are living below your means and you are prioritizing your long-term values and goals, then you are almost definitionally good with money. In terms of a starter pack, no matter where you are financially, and quite frankly, especially if you're in a bad place financially, as I was, when I changed my relationship with money, I was earning $42,000 a year in New York City. So I certainly wasn't you know, earning a lot of money. And I was in some debt, although I'd gotten rid of most of it, mostly consumer debt. But the two things that I think are the most important to do as a step one, and I think it's very important to not overburden yourself with a lot of to-dos at the very beginning, especially if you're in a bad starting position. Just do two things. One, 
is to just commit yourself for at least a month or two to every single day, very closely look at all of your financial statements. So your statements, your credit card statements, your net worth, your debt, everything, just really familiarize yourself with it, you know, kind of go through, analyze every purchase, understand it. And in fact, I would say during that time, commit to, I don't change anything. I don't have to open a budget. I don't have to any differently, but there's a lot of really good data that shows that, especially if you've become somewhat avoidant with money, which a lot of people do if they're in a position, just the simple act of being very close to your financial decisions and really understanding the numbers sort of inherently generates a desire to, to do better, to change things and to, to track more. So that's and, one. And I can say as a person who did that very thing, uh, my first step was sort it out and get familiar with it just as since of knowing exactly what was what and where it, it calmed the sense of overwhelm. Totally. Just knowing it. I, mean, I hadn't done one thing to fix any of it. Just knowing like, okay, at least now have a handle on what seemed like one big mystery a month ago is helpful. Okay, good. So first of all, that's your first point. Start with just familiarize yourself with like every single number. And then So the other thing is to find at least one person in your life that you can speak honestly about your financial situation and goals with and actually tell them about it because the, for most people, a large amount of our discretionary spending, which is the stuff that will often get us in trouble or keep us from, you know, achieving our long-term goals or prevent us from living below our means. They're socially driven, right? They're what your friends are doing. They're where they're traveling. They're other people's weddings. They're your family's pressure. There's holiday gifts. There's it's it's a generally existing in a world which doesn't allow for people to say that's not, not in my budget. And this is why often people as they earn more will often get on that hamster wheel of while well, they're pretty much only surrounded by other wealthier and wealthier people. So the expectations for where their kids go to school, what car they drive, what you know, what neighborhood they live in, how they decorate their homes for the holidays, all of that becomes you know, a social game essentially that you can't really opt out of. So even if you can't be totally honest with everyone around you in your life, maybe your family, friends, what have you about your financial goals and the decisions that you have to make, which is fair. I think a lot of, even I, to this day, I'm extremely open about money. There are people that are just not really safe places to talk about it with, but how one person, it could be a friend, it could be even your romantic partner. It could be your parent that you can say, Hey, I really want to change my financial relationship, my relationship to money. I want to save. I want to start a retirement account. I want to do all these things. And I would really love a safe space to to talk about it and to kind of hold myself accountable. Do you kind of want to be my buddy? Like going to the gym, like really working on any other goal, having that sort of buddy system. There's amazing data that shows that it really, really transforms people's motivation. That's great. I love that. So, so far you haven't even got anybody to like now go to the bank and make an appointment. Like these are a lot of internal mindset shifts. You're baking in a system to have some financial success inside of. I really appreciate that. I think, I think those are skipped steps a lot of the time and just go straight to, let me ask you, what is your, let's say somebody's done those things. They've managed it. They've got the numbers. They've written it down. They see what's what they see what's missing. They've got their person onboarded as a, as a kind of a safe receiver of all this information. And what they have discovered is, whoa, debt. Debt is 
I would be in a completely different financial space if I did not have to give so much of my spending to debt reduction. There's a lot of philosophies on what to do with debt. They're, they're not all the same. Everybody has a different idea. What approach do you tend to take? And maybe it, it's diverse. Maybe it's depending on what kind of debt it is. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that person who goes, that's the first place I've got to get started because that's such a huge chunk of my income. Debt is another really good example of why having someone you can talk to is incredibly important because debt is extremely isolating. It's very shameful. And it's something that, you know, I'm 33. Most of the people I know, I, I don't, I didn't go to college. I went to a community college. So I didn't have student debt, but the vast majority of people that I know socially live with enormous amounts of student debt and almost no one talks about it. So I'm very aware of that. But you know, the thing about money is that spend less than you earn, period. The actual work and the actual quote unquote difficult part of it is in psychology and in sort of figuring out ways to trick your brain a little bit, but also to optimize what you're good at and lean into what works for you. Debt is a perfect example of that. Now, I should say upfront, as you mentioned, there are many different types of debt. So if you are working with, let's say, federally subsidized student loans that have extremely low interest rates, that is going to be an extremely different approach than if you're dealing with credit card debt. So first and foremost is you want to look at the, the debt that you have and sort of debt by debt, look at what is the mathematically best way to handle this. So for example, if you have a very low interest subsidized student debt, you may actually be better off, and there are great calculators like on Nerd Wallet and places like that that you can use to figure this out. You may be better off just paying the minimum and putting more money into the market because the market growth, you know, if you put your money into an index fund or what have you, is going to outpace what you save because that interest is so low. If you have, let's say, high interest credit card debt or maybe multiple credit card debts, you might be better off moving, let's say, all of those debts over to a balance transfer card and just consolidated and trying to pay it off in that one year when you have 0% APR. So each kind of debt and each sort of debt schedule is going to have different mathematical answers, right? In terms of what is the most optimized approach. There's no other way to do it except for just like an hour of Googling basically and figuring out. Once you've done that, you can just write it down on a piece of paper or Google doc. Like this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do to optimize each of them. Once you have that, then all you have to do is basically will yourself and trick yourself into feeling good about paying it, which that is the actual hard work, not how to handle it. Ultimately, there are a ton of different methods as far as, you know, what's the best way to pay. There's the snowball method, the avalanche method, all that stuff. They're all fine. What matters is what keeps you motivated. You have to understand yourself. So are you the type of person who, for example, every time you reach X or Y benchmark in your debt payoff, you put a little money aside to do something special for yourself? Are you someone who prefers to really push themselves to go out and earn more, take in side income, that kind of a thing, maybe look at a new job because you're more motivated by the idea of being able to do it faster and to not give up more luxuries? Are you someone who maybe too much in your personal life and you could benefit from going through and cutting a few things out and you know visualizing how much faster you could pay out off that debt is motivating no good or bad answers they're all fine you just have to figure out what is the thing that most motivates you and one of the things again that I can't recommend enough is if there are things that are 
preventing you from being able to pay off your debts in a a healthy way or are really causing you a lot of emotional distress. A lot of times this comes in the form of people, right? Like I think most people can name people in their lives with whom they feel a lot of financial pressure. They don't feel they can be honest. They feel they have to live a certain life or spend in a certain, have certain things. I really think it's important that most people consider that if they have people in their lives who are preventing them from thriving financially, that they consider at least seriously reducing, if not ending those relationships, because it's going to be really hard to get ahead if you have people who make you feel bad about having to make the right decisions. That's great. I think that's fantastic advice. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I wonder if you have, you know, we're kind of coming up on just a time of year that's generally heavy on spending. And so what are your, or do you have any tips or strategies for budgeting during the holidays? Do you have any definitive do's or don'ts or tools or apps that can help with this? What what would be your approach or your advice? Make a list of, of a small list of people who get gifts that require spending. And then everyone below that list gets something like cookies or something you can make or card or what have you. No matter how much you earn, it is not realistic that every single person is going to be able to get an expensive gift. And people have to become a little bit more ruthless in a sense with where they can really afford to spend. And people put themselves into credit card debt. They wipe savings. They go against their own goals in order to look like a certain person rolling into Christmas with their arms full of boxes. Aside from the fact that most people forget the gifts they get within like 10 minutes of getting them on Christmas or whatever you celebrate, or even if it's a wedding, if it's a birthday or whatever it may be, if someone in your life only likes you or feels about you a certain way, if you can afford to give them something, they don't really love you for you. They, they're not like you can't be putting yourself in the position of having to buy people's affection or buy their validation. If someone is going to look at you negatively because they got a box of homemade cookies from you instead of a PS5 or whatever, that's a relationship you probably should have been questioning anyway. So in my personal life, for example, this year, we so my husband is from another country. So we typically go back and forth for each holiday. We do one and then one. This year, we're going to his family. He has a much larger family. Well, so I get gifts for his immediate family, which is very small. 
And then the rest of the people, they get nice, you know, treats, like little cookies and stuff. And that's, or, right. and that's fine. I'm thinking about a variety of ways people gather around this time of year. So be it, you know, actual Christmas or a gift giving or whatever it is. How would you suggest, I don't know if you have like a, a little messaging, a little script, I'm not sure, for people who are going to be invited into some holiday spaces, family or friends, whatever, work even, and those spaces are not paying close attention to making gatherings financially inclusive. So there's expectations. There are even requirements. Like I've, I was invited to a party one time and it was like, everybody has to bring a bottle of wine. It cannot be less than $75. Like, right, right. Like this is a real, this happens. Or this is what we're doing. Everybody has to have this, bring this gift or whatever. Do you have suggestions? on how to manage those moments when it just feels like everybody around you apparently has no budget and you're the only one who does, but you don't necessarily want to be left out of everything. Thoughts on that? Well, first of all, that's a host problem. And (laughs) agreed. I think in general, so I'm very into hosting, entertaining, all of that stuff. I, my, my mother was a big, you know, in that regard, and we did not have a lot growing up and she always was very good at using the resources she had to make people feel welcome. And something I've really learned is that if anyone coming to your event feels uncomfortable financially, you have failed as a host, period. That's good. should Mm -hmm. not be making anyone feel that they are less welcome or that their company is less valuable because they can't afford to bring a certain thing, period, end of story. That being said, on the other side of it, and, and by the way, one thing that can be very overwhelming if you're a person who's attending gatherings where you feel financially behind the eight ball and unable to keep up, it could feel overwhelming to think of having that conversation with everyone. You shouldn't. You should have this conversation with the host because that is ultimately their responsibility. The script that I like to use for weddings in particular, because this is something we talk about a lot at TFD, and this is something that a lot of especially young women really, really struggle with financially. So expensive. Other people's weddings, and they've gotten out of control. Using a script along the lines of, hey, like this is like, let's say you're being invited to a bachelorette weekend that's going to cost you $1,000 all in, which is common. Hey, I love you so much. I'm so happy to be celebrating this for you. I want to be totally honest that this event is just really outside my budget right now. It's just not something I can swing. It has nothing to do with how much I want to go. I would love to go and have the best time, but I do want to be honest that if I was going to go, I would have to probably put it on credit cards and I would feel terribly about it. And that's not something that I want to bring to your event, let alone something I want to do to myself. So what I want to do is like figure out a way that we can celebrate and have it feel really special in a way that I can feel financially good about, and then have one or two suggestions of things that are accessible to you. In my experience, one of two outcomes, either you do something that is financially accessible to you and you have a great time, or the person, if they have the financial ability, might offer to pay for some or part or all of your trip to do what they want to do. And if the person in that instance, after that conversation, does neither of those things and makes you feel terrible, then you have dodged a massive bullet. That's great. I love that. And my experience in general with boundaries of any kind, really, but including financial boundaries is that for the most part, people are respectful. When you're a clear communicator and you kind of lay it out in stark terms, most people will respect a healthy boundary and even kind of be grateful for it. Like, wow, you just 
I didn't know we could do this. I did not know that somebody could set a boundary and maintain the relationship or maintain the experience or whatever. And so I think some of our aversion to clarity around budget and boundaries is potentially invented. You may be surprised because as my, as you've said a couple of times now, if that person across from you loves you, if that's your friend, if that is your favorite aunt, whatever it is, they're going to be like, oh, thanks for telling me. Like, that's great. That's not the bulk of what I wanted here. I just really wanted time with you. So let's talk about this. Obviously, in the world of personal finance, appropriately, we talk a lot about budgeting, tightening up spending, all of that. And that's 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 a correct thing to talk about. I'd also like to hear some options in terms of increasing income that we might be paying attention to, like as we are trying to get our money in order and, and sort of imagine our financial future in a way that feels secure. How can we set ourselves up for kind of success and innovation here? Yeah, so... If you have been at your employer for more than probably two or three years, eh, three years, you're probably being underpaid compared to other positions at comparable organizations. And this is not because everyone is inherently at a horrible employer. It's because, you know, businesses, especially if they're, you know, large publicly traded companies, they're there to keep costs down. And they're probably not giving you raises by leaps and bounds. And you entered that job at a lower position and rate of pay, especially if you started entry level at this company, your starting salary was probably a lot lower than it would be now at another company. And you are not getting, you know, 10, 20, 30% raises every year to kind of keep up with that. You're getting raises based on that initial low salary. So that is just a fact. Most people are underpaid compared to the same position at other companies if they've been at their employer for, for many years. So step one is, and everyone should just be doing this regardless at least once a year, is look at Glassdoor, look at industry-specific job sites, make sure that you are not, you know, losing out on a ton of money. People statistically will realize their largest increases in income in their primary job when they change employers. And if you love your employer, and many people do, this is another opportunity for a really candid conversation. You know, you go out there, maybe you work with a headhunter, maybe you have a couple, you know, discreet conversations, you get another offer, you can go to your employer and say, hey, I love working here. I love this team. I love what we do, but I am being really underpaid and I need to be at this level in order to stay here. And that would be my first choice. But if that's not going to be possible, I'm going to have to go over here. And Maybe they'll say yes, maybe they'll say no, but either way, you're not going to be underpaid anymore. So that's something that everyone should be doing, just continue kind of refreshing it. The other thing is I really encourage everyone to see if they can find at least one side stream of income, even if it's just a couple hours a month, because it's not just about the freedom and flexibility that it gives you to work toward your goals more effectively. I think it's more the sense of having control over your income and really valuing your time and expertise and setting a rate for yourself and increasing that rate and assessing what you do that is most valuable and what other people are willing to pay for. I think even just as kind of a psychological exercise, it is really important. Absolutely. I was never so grateful that I had spent a fair amount of time diversifying my, my income than when the pandemic hit. And a lot of what I personally do just went belly up immediately. Like I do a lot of live events. <laughs> so bye. <laughs> those were overnight over. 
And for a while, that was my biggest revenue stream. And so it it had a psychological benefit for sure. And then ultimately a financial benefit that I had more than one thing to turn to. It's a weird time. It's a weird, we're in a weird financial world right now. And I'd like to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because we're in some uncharted territory in terms of global inflation and housing prices, of course, interest rates. I mean, it's just, everything kind of feels a little bit scary. So, okay, first of all, I'd love to hear you say this. How how can we keep kind of a positive mindset while this financial chaos appears to be going on around us? And then second, do you have any sort of general advice for being prepared or even like currently experiencing financial upheaval because of the market around us? So for keeping a positive mindset, something my husband says that I really love is worrying is like praying for something bad to happen. You like, you either do something about it to be proactive and prevent negative outcomes or increase the chances of positive outcomes. Or if you've done everything you need to do and it's out of your control now, then Focus on other things. So in the sense of macroeconomics, which, you know, I very much understand can be worrisome, but it's also ultimately something that is by definition out of our control. And there are only certain things that we can do to set ourselves up for success. And the rest is just going to happen as it happens. If you're investing in the market, if you're investing for retirement with your 401k, with your index funds, what have you, if you're doing it well, your strategy remains the same no matter what is happening in the economy. And if the economy and the market are taking a downturn, that's actually some of the most important times to be consistent because you're getting a lot more for, for your dollar. So for example, my friend Erin Lowry of Broke Millennial did a book all about investing a couple of years ago. And she spoke to, I want to say she was a broker, wealth manager or something, but she, during the 2008 crash, she didn't look at her statements or her net worth for two years. Like she looked enough to like prevent identity theft or whatever, but she didn't look at the numbers. She was like, because if I look at them, I know that it's going to encourage me to panic and, you know, take money out or what have you or stop contributing. So once you've done everything right, tuning it out is the best thing to do. You do not have to read the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times. You do not have to look at every scary news Chiron because aside from the fact that it's out of your control, we can look at the history of our economy in the last hundred years and say like about once every 10 years, something that will happen. It's just an, provided you live a long life, you'll go through a lot of them. So I think that's really important as far as, you know, if you're already being negatively affected or you want to be more proactive, I think one of the best things, as you mentioned, is obviously to diversify your revenue stream, to have an extremely updated resume and professional online presence if something were to happen to your job, to have a slightly stronger emergency fund than you usually do, maybe instead of three months, it's six months or five months or what have you. There are a few kind of housekeeping things like that to do. But other than that, the important thing is just to remember that this will happen and that worrying about it isn't going to make it not happen. That's right. My financial planner, because, you know, it's just been such a weird. So first of all, you tell me, look away. I'm like, no problem. I will look a hundred percent away. And and he said, look, you can look backward and see historically and cyclically more or less out of every 10 years, seven years are up and three years are down. This is pretty consistent data and just weather it. And so obviously there's a different sense of consideration depending on where you are in your life. 
you know, I'm, I'm still working full time and earning, and I've got quite a bit of time ahead of me before I'm ready to retire. And I understand that that can feel a little bit different if you were about to pull your money out, if you were about to retire, but there is something wise about holding steady and just steadying the ship. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Did you know more than 75% of Americans experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% seek out a solution for that pain? Your feet don't have to hurt. So let me tell you about Superfeet. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot. From cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive, you can dial in your fit by taking their quick quiz online. Answer just a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Foot biomechanics may be complex, but solving foot pain should be simple. So when you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. When your feet feel good, so do you. Your foot health is an important part of your overall well-being. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code FTL at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What would you say to a listener who's a little bit further down, closer to retirement, this sort of financial disruption is less timely for them as they're kind of maybe toward the very end of their earning years? Everything you can do to minimize the amount that you have to draw down on your retirement accounts, you have to do it. It's even if it means staying at your job a little bit longer than you intended, if it means taking on a different job, if that's not an option, if it means reducing your living costs, downsizing your home, whatever it may be, anything you can do to prevent having to draw down on those accounts when they're, you know, down 30% in value or what have you, like, the upside of that on the other side is so massive that it is absolutely in your interest to prevent it by any means possible. And it doesn't have to be a hundred percent, right? Like you still may have to draw down on it a little bit, but the less that you can, the better off you are. Mm. Okay. Okay. Last 
we're steering into the new year. And so right at the beginning of, a lot of us are paying attention to our taxes at the beginning of each year, especially those of us who are kind of like small business owners like me or working as independent contractors. They're not, you know, regular salaried employees. And so do you have any suggestions for those of us who look at a 1040 easy and get overwhelmed, much less more complicated tax forms? And then finally, how would you suggest we take advantage of any breaks offered to taxpayers? How do we stay in the know? How do we know about those things? How do we find out about those things? How do you advise us around tax season? If your taxes are more complicated, literally even marginally more complicated than just you work a salaried job and that's it and it gets automatically taken from your paycheck and it takes 30 minutes on TurboTax, like if you have taxes at all more complicated than that, get a CPA. They pay for themselves. 100%. I could not possibly agree more. I actually I have my CPA on speed dial. And yeah. And yeah. yeah. They do pay for themselves. That's correct. Like he has explained a million things to me that if I was going through this information with a fine tooth comb as a full time job, I would not understand or even catch. Well, it's also that's a that b you could also accidentally commit tax fraud, which is no joke. C, this is goes back to establishing what you're good at, what's the value of your time, et cetera. Like the time it would take you to even vaguely attempt to badly do your taxes and probably miss out on all kinds of, you know, benefits, deductions, and even possible reimbursements and things like that is worth, I mean, I'm sure infinitely more if you're actually doing something you're good at and earning more money versus a CPA who would take a fraction of that time and do it better. That's right. hundred percent right. Okay. Wrapping up here. What would you say is the best decision you've ever made in terms of investing in yourself? Really, honestly, financially or otherwise? Investing in myself. The four-day work week. Oh yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So our company has been doing a four-day work week for almost 18 months and it's completely transformed my life. I, I would hope the lives of our team, especially the parents on our team. I'm personally not a parent, but I you know, have heard from the parents that it's also been hugely beneficial. But in terms of investing in myself, like the, aside from all the mental health benefits, and by the way, we didn't reduce salaries, our productivity increased, our revenue increased, our profitability increased, like it's incredible. we're doing more with less. And those studies seem pretty consistent across the board. So it's definitely worth everyone trying. But I, with that free time, like I, I, you know, can't talk about it yet, but I've done, you know, a big side project that's going to be a big thing for me in 2023. Like I, I bought and have largely renovated an apartment. Like I've done so much with that time. That is time again, that I was, most people, if you work a 40 hour a week or so job at a computer, like there's a lot of your time that's not really going to, tr to truly productive, meaningful work. So because that exact same time was like sort of spread thinly throughout my days, like just like reading an article online or like pointlessly checking my email again, or, you know, doing something a little redundant or in meetings that are going on too long or what have you. Now that the, the time that I'm working is very concentrated and that other time that is free, like that whole Friday is just free. I'm so motivated to, to do something valuable with that Friday. It's been transformative. That's amazing. I love this. And you're right. The data on this is pretty consistent across all sorts of industries. The pandemic taught us this possibility of both working from home and working shorter work weeks to absolutely no detrimental effect. In, in fact, the opposite. So 
I love that. I I hear you saying that. And of course, my wheels are just turning and turning and turning. We try in our sort of work ethos to knock it off by noon on Friday. Don't schedule meetings. We don't schedule, but how much better to have the whole day? You should try it. Finally, this is a question that I actually ask every single guest in every single series borrowed this question from a leader that I love. And you can answer this however you want, Chelsea. It can be earnest or it can be absurd. We get it all. But her question is, what is saving your life right now? What is saving my life right now? That is a great question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where is this question from? Mm-hmm. She's It's a priest and she's an Episcopalian priest. And she asked this question in one of her books and it was like piercing, like, what's saving my life right now? It's so current. It's so like in the moment it's, it can be big or small. It can be tender or it can be silly. It doesn't matter. That answer changes daily probably, but. I would say what is saving my life right now is my bike. (laughs) I don't have a car. I haven't driven in 10 years. I live in New York city. So I live in Manhattan. So, you know, that we should say, but I went from being really scared of biking in the city to biking everywhere in the city. And I love my bike. She's beautiful. And because like when I'm walking, so I normally would also walk everywhere and I put my headphones in when I'm walking my AirPods and I listen to stuff, which kind of distracts me on the bike. If you're a safe biker, you can't listen to something. You are just alone with your thoughts. So I'm like, I feel like Albert Einstein. I'm like, just like alone for 30 minute periods, biking <laughs> through Central Park or whatever. And it's really been doing that, that I feel like I've gotten a lot of clarity and done a great creative thinking and all of that. I absolutely love that. I think that is such a good answer. I know what you mean. I, I hit like a similar zone when I'm driving. So when I drive, I don't turn on the radio. I don't listen to a podcast. I don't talk on the phone. I I like, I drive in silence because it's some of the only times I'm alone with my thoughts, my best ideas between the car and the shower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I want to hear what yours is that's saving your life. Oh, uh, yeah. I would say right now, what is saving my life? I've just come off a book release. It's not three weeks old. And so it's been an absolute quagmire of travel and tour and work and interviews. And it's been foot on the gas for about six months on it, which I love. I love my work. Same as you very much grateful that I get to do what I do and thrilled about it, thrilled about it. But in the meantime, it's pretty taxing and I have five kids and I'm single. I have a lot of life to manage as well. And so I have this very surprising, very surprising. I did not expect this at 48. Well, I don't know. I hate calling him this because this is, I'm too old for this, but he's like a boyfriend. <laughs> I know. I'm like, can I just say you're the man I'm dating? He's like, I'm your boyfriend. I'm like, I'm old, but it just is saving my life right now. It just brings me such unsurprising, like joy. I was so, did not expect to do love again at this point in life. It's just such a wonderful joy. Like, I just, just, I'd done so much internal work to re- recover and rebuild. I did all that myself. And so then he wanders in and I'm like, this is just bonus. Like, this is just extra and special. And anyway, I, I hate that. to be that moony girl. That's like, my boyfriend is saving my life, but he kind of is. Oh, that's yeah, he kind of is. Thanks for asking. God, nobody ever turns that around on me. 
That's hilarious. Okay. I think you are so smart and I love your approach to money. It feels accessible. It feels possible. It just, this does not feel like information for an elite client base that you only entertain. And I love it. So can you please tell my listeners everywhere that they can find you, people are going to want to have more information from you, especially as we turn into a new year. A lot of people are like, this is my year. Let's get it together. Yes. So everything that the financial diet does, you can just find it at the financial diet dot com on social media, all of that stuff. So the financial diet, I do maintain a personal social media presence, but it has, it's mostly just posting about, I don't really post about money stuff on those platforms. I mostly like, I love to post like food that I cook and entertaining and all of, and decor stuff and, yeah. you know, bike stuff. So, Here's yeah, my bike. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find my bike on there, but yeah. So the financial diet for all the money Perfect. stuff. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for your great advice and your great counsel. I love people who help us manage our money and it's doable. It really is. Whatever might seem overwhelming or out of reach or beyond our capacity isn't. Everyone can do this and everyone should do this. Totally. Thank you for having me again. Okay, Chelsea. Have a great day. All right, you guys, she is so fantastic. As mentioned, she's got a lot of resources for you. Like we barely scratched the surface. So if you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will have this entire episode. I'll have the show notes, the recording that you can share in the link. And then of course, everything Chelsea related, not just her personally, of course, but her company, the financial diet. So if this is something you want more on, more information you want to dig, you're ready for this. You can go there and it'll be a one-stop shop. I'm excited for you. It's There's a comfort and a power in taking control of your money, no matter where you're at, no matter how messy it is right now. And so I'm thrilled for you. And I'm so grateful to have met Chelsea and more to come you guys as we wrap up 2022. And we have so much in store for you next year too. So thank you for being an incredible listening community. Me and the entire team adore you. And we are thrilled to bring in this show every single week. See you next week. 